The following program is a presentation of Grand Slam Ministries. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of The Dan Scott Show. This is episode 49, and every single one of them have been brought to you by Grand Slam Ministries, our 501c3 nonprofit organization. I am Dan. As always, it is great to be with you. I hope that you have had a great week. It's been a very busy week on my end, but that's always the case this time of year when sports are, are crossing over in my real job. But this is my respite. This is the thing that I look forward to every week because I get a chance to sit down with a guest and share stories of God working in people's lives and telling just incredible testimonies. And if you've been paying attention over the course of the last month or so, just the last three weeks where we've had Jay Warner Wallace and Lee Strobel, and Randy Lurch. And then last week it was Oconee County, South Carolina Sheriff Mike Crenshaw coming off of the the uh, tragic shooting of Deputy Lucas Watts, but the miracle that has happened there. And I can give you an update on Lucas Watts, at least a, a recent update. They are preparing to move him out of the hospital in Greenville, South Carolina, to a rehab facility I believe in Atlanta, and it's just another incredible step in this miracle that's happened in this young man's life. We'll continue to keep you updated in the coming weeks on the progress of Lucas Watts, but we keep telling these stories, and God keeps dropping these wonderful guests in our lap, and this week is no exception. You folks know that if I get a chance to talk Jesus and baseball in the same conversation, I'm usually a very happy guy. I get to do that this week with an absolute bona fide Major League Baseball legend by the name of Bobby Richardson, who was a star second baseman with the New York Yankees in the 50s and the 60s and saved some of his best performances for when it mattered most in the World Series. He's 88 years old. And get this, he's been a Christian since he was eight. Now, I I get kidded a lot for being from West Virginia, number one. And number two, admittedly, my math skills are not great. I always tell people I was good at math until they put the alphabet in it. But if he's 88 years old and he's been a Christian since he was the age of eight, this guy has been serving the Lord for eight decades, 80 years, and he's still going strong. So Bobby Richardson is our guest when we come back, I want you to hear something quickly about Grand Slam Ministries, and we'll get in to this wonderful interview with a great, great man of God, Bobby Richardson, right after this. Grand Slam Ministries exists to glorify Jesus Christ in multiple ways, through this radio show and its accompanying online, digital, and video components, through our sister websites, danscottshow.org, and grandslamministries.org, and through furthering our core missions, mentorship, and providing food and other necessities to children. None of this is possible without your prayers and support. 
By making a gift to Grand Slam Ministries today, you'll not only help this program remain on this radio station, you'll help us grow our family of stations, allowing us to bring stories of God working in the lives of men and women everywhere to a larger audience. And at the same time, your gift will help us in the initial launch of those core mission programs. Grand Slam Ministries is in its infancy. We need your support. Will you help us today? Visit our website at grandslamministries.org and prayerfully consider a one-time or monthly gift today. Above and beyond anything else, please pray for our ministry. Thank you and God bless. Want to see a listing of our affiliates? Check out videos or listen to past shows and explore our archives? It's all available at our website, danscottshow.org. And now, back to the show. Dan Scott Show, episode 49. We are just getting cranked up. Thank you again for joining us. As I always try to remind you at this time before we get into our guest interview, if you have missed anything, if you're new to the program, want to know more about who we are and what we're about and what Grand Slam Ministries is all about, I highly suggest you go to the website, danscottshow.org, or you can go to grandslamministries.org. That's actually a page at the Dan Scott Show site. You will see uh, what we're up to, some videos, our audio archives at the Affiliates and Archives page. You can find out where the show airs live every Saturday and Sunday uh, around the country and around the world. That's the one-stop shop for everything. And as I'll remind you a little later, you can always make a donation to Grand Slam Ministries at that page as well. If uh, podcasts only are your thing, you can search for the Dan Scott Show at any podcast site out there. We are everywhere. All right, as I mentioned, if I get to talk Jesus and baseball in the same conversation, I'm usually a happy guy, and that is the case on this week's episode of the show. Bobby Richardson, if you are a baseball fan of any length of time at all, you know the name. He was a standout second baseman for the New York Yankees, and as I mentioned earlier, saved his best performances for when it mattered the most, when he got to the World Series with the Yankees. And we're going to talk about that during the course of the interview. Also, you're going to hear just a wide variety of subjects that we discuss and people that we discuss. You're going to hear names like Johnny Bench. You're going to hear Mickey Mantle's name, Roger Maris's name, Lee McPhail. There's a name that will test your knowledge of baseball history. And you're also going to hear just some incredibly sweet stories about how this man loves his wife after all of these years. It's just a an interview that I was looking forward to doing for a long time and was very fortunate to be able to sit down with Bobby Richardson just about three weeks ago. Here's our conversation, and as usual, we start by Bobby telling us what he's up to now. Dan, I'm uh, 88 years old. I live in the same house in Sumter. I built it in 1960. That's a long time to live in one house. But my family sort of grew up here, and even though we've traveled in other places, uh, we've always come back, kept this home, and it's a part of Sumter. Now, not many of my children and grandchildren 
live in Sumter anymore. In fact, live in South Carolina. They went off to college and uh, and didn't come back to Sumter, South Carolina. But uh, that's the way things go in life. Well, we always want our children to spread their wings, uh, but it's a little sad when they do it, isn't it? <laughs> well, my kids went off to school, Wheaton College in Chicago, Gordon College in Boston, um, uh, five at Clemson, Ford, Carolina, Elon, North Greenville, University of Southern Cal. They, they kind of went all over. And, uh, and we have now just uh, one son that's a pastor in, near Charlotte in Rock Hill. And then I have a granddaughter that's a nurse, and she lives in Columbia. But the rest of them Atlanta and Michigan and just all over. Yeah, nine years ago, I, I became a grandfather for the first time. We have three grandchildren now and a fourth one on the way. How long did it take you to figure out that grandkids <laughs> that grandkids were the best they thing going? Yes, right. <laughs> um, you know what? I've got 18 grands, but I've got 18 great-grands that— 18 and 18, I think it's 36. That's a lot. So. Yes, it is. Yeah, yes, it <laughs> we is. We do have something going, though. For the last 25 years, we've leased a place at the beach for March and April and September and October, same place, and uh, give to you my three boys and two girls, that's my immediate kids, uh, a week at the beach. And so when they come down there, Bex and I'll slip over and uh, – and that's when we see the grandchildren. They like to come to the beach, and we like to see them, and that's the perfect time. That that's that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I found I out. Remember the birthdays, but uh, <laughs> when I see them, I, I recognize them. All right. Well, when you got thirty six of them, you can't be expected to remember the birthdays, can you? Exactly. Certainly not at eighty eight. <laughs> <laughs> when when you look back uh, at at your life, and we're going to get into your career and all of those things, it is. To me, it's easy to see that, that God has really had his hand on you from the very beginning. Well, he really has, and it started in Sunday school. My grandfather on my mother's side was chief of police in Sumter, South Carolina. At that time, the town was maybe 10,000, maybe 12,000 people. And it was kind of neat because the YMCA was one block from my home, and everything was centered, especially basketball and baseball around the wide. They headed up the programs, and that was one block from my home. And then my church was a block and a half from the home, and the elementary schools were a block from the home. And so all of those played a great part in my life, but especially my Sunday school teachers. I had two guys that just gave her their time to spend time preparing for those Sunday lessons. One was with the power company, and unless it was a storm, he was always there. The other was a farmer. They presented the gospel so clearly, and as a young boy of uh, about eight years of age, they presented it in such a way that I knew I needed a Savior, and they made an appointment with my pastor, and I went over, and he led me to Christ, and I, um, I, uh, I have two sisters, and one of my other sisters made a decision with me, too, and then we were baptized. The other sister followed a little bit later. But uh, those dear men uh, had an impact. And then I got a little bit older, and I had a junior high school teacher. And uh, he was a wonderful Christian, and he, too, was a mentor. And then the Lord was so good when I signed in baseball at 17, the day I graduated from high school, and I reported to my first training camp. There was a young man that was on the team that loved the Lord, took me under his wing, and ministered to me over the years. 
and he stayed in my life. He's 97 now and still going strong. He was my assistant coach at the University of South Carolina. When I went to Liberty University, he um, went up with me, and I named him the baseball coach up there. Just a wonderful man and just a great Christian. So the Lord has put outstanding Christians in my life in a mentoring way for a long time. You know, Bobby, math has never been my strong suit. I, I was okay until they put the alphabet in it, and that's when it went south for me. But <laughs> but if my math is correct, you've been walking with Christ for 80 years. If that's exactly right. And then I married a young girl. She's five years younger, but she not only knew Christ as Savior, but he was Lord of her life. She comes from a wonderful heritage. Her, her folks uh, were very active in a church in Alcalu, which is close by. And she moved to something in the fourth grade, moved to the church that I was in. But the Lord has just really used her in my life as well. Just a, an outstanding mother. And uh, we had a surprise birthday party for him just in October of this past year, past month. And, uh, I mean, she was totally surprised. About 200 people came out. There was one young girl that came all the way from Naples, Florida, because Betsy had mentored her. Her father just owned the... Brooklyn Dodgers, and he sold them to both the New York Yankees. His name was Larry McPhail. Albie Pearson led her to Christ, and she was a wonderful Christian. She'd come in and spend the summers with us, and she and Betsy just get along so good. And on this surprise birthday party, she drove all the way from Naples, Florida, and was able to share in the activity of the surprise for Betsy. Well, that, that just speaks, that just speaks a lot as to to the impact <laughs> that that you and your wife have had on on people that they think that much of you that somebody would drive that far. Well, that's true. And then I had another one that drove all the way from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, you can hear they're working on my yard. I'm going to move over a little bit so you can hear a little bit better. Okay. We're visiting with Bobby Richardson on this week's edition of the Dan Scott Show, and he is getting away from some yard work that's being done at his house, where he still lives since 1960 down in the Sumter, South Carolina area. Yes, I'm moving out now. He's trembling. <laughs> I just went out and talked to him, and he, he was at a funeral that I took part in the other day, and we had a good conversation. There you go. Okay, I'm, I'm all right now. Yeah. So um, you, you just told us when you fell in love with Jesus and you became a Christian at eight years old. When did you fall in love with the game of baseball? Well, uh, my dad loved baseball. He was in the monument business, Richardson Marble and Granite Works, Tombstones, and uh, – he had played baseball, but always had to work. But he afforded me the opportunity of playing both on the Mite, Midgets, and Junior, sponsored by the Y. And then when I was old enough, um, I went out for, as a freshman for a high school baseball team. Basketball was uh, a sport I loved as much as baseball, and we were in tournament play, so I was about a week late going out. Big catcher and I went out together. And after a three-day workout, he told the catcher, Ladson, you've made the team, Richardson, you come back next year. And then, oh, he's following me around. <laughs> I'm going to move to another part of the house. That's okay. We can, we can still hear you fine. You know? Okay. Everywhere I go, it seems to be. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, my dad said, well, why don't you go out for the American Legion team? said, uh, uh, Sumter's a great American Legion town. Why don't you go off for that? And I did. I made the team, and we won the state championship, regional championship, and we were playing 
in Charlotte, North Carolina against Richmond, Virginia. And one of that last game would go to the American Legion World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. And before the game, they took us to see the film Pride of the Yankees. Story of Lou Gehrig, Gehrig Cooper played his part. Babe Ruth had his own part in that film. And I remember seeing it and thinking, what a great organization. How I'd like to be a part of that. Got to the game that night, and the Yankees had a scout there by the name of Spud Chandler. He came over to me after the game and said, when you graduate from high school, I'll see to it you have a chance to sign with the Yankees. Well, he kept his word. They kept in touch. And sure enough, at 17, the day I graduated, at that time, there were eight in the American, eight in the national teams. And out of the, out of the 16, 12 of them afforded me the same opportunity. They all offered $4,000. If you get more than $4,000, you'd have to go up and spend two years on the parent roster, and that would be a waste of time for a 17-year-old. But I just signed with the Yankees and got a quick trip to New York. The local dealer on the ball club that had Coca-Cola, he had a private plane, and he wanted to fly me to New York. He'd arranged for a three-day workout with the Yankees, and I told him, I said, Mr. Heath, I've never been on a plane. Can we go any other way? And he laughed. He said, well, go on the train. And we took the train, and I did work out with the Yankees. Frank Corsetti, the longtime coach, hit my ground balls my way, and then I was told to go up and take some swings, and then I'd go in and shower and watch the game. Stood around the cage for a little while and wasn't about to step in front of Hank Bauer, Yogi Bauer, and Mickey Mantle came up behind and said, to, hey, kid, step in here and take some swings. And it started a friendship that lasted a lifetime, a dozen years of teammate, and then after baseball a long time, too. Yeah, I want to come back to Mickey Mantle in a, in a little bit because right. uh, you you were involved in in just an incredible story at the end of his life. As we continue visiting uh, with Bobby Richardson, um, I'm just looking at some of your bio stats here, and, and uh, it said when you made your debut in 1955, you were five nine and 170 pounds. Uh, that was that was not all that unusual at that time in baseball, was it? No, it was not. Um, they, they weren't as big. They weren't as strong. Uh, we didn't have um, full-time trainers. We didn't have workouts during the off-season. Weights were not involved in us. We would just uh, run, basically. I would quail hunt and pretty much stay in shape because of that. But uh, it's different now. It's a year-round job, but so is the salary. The salary is a little different now as well. <laughs> what was the most money you made, if you don't mind sharing that, as a Major League Baseball well, player? Mandel was the highest salary at 100000 and I got up to half of that, 50000 And um, I remember one time we have a big safe with cubicles, number seven, and we had uh, just come back and start the season off. So from the last year, he opened number seven up. There was a check in there for $15,000 he forgot to cash. We thought that 100000 was a million at that time. Mm-hmm. But it uh, minimum salary started out for me at five thousand, jumped up to seventy five hundred, and probably twelve, twelve to fourteen thousand before I left baseball or something like that. And, and there are, yeah, there there are a lot of people listening to the show right now who have no concept of what it was like prior to what we have in in really all major sports now, but particularly baseball. In the free agent era, we've been in since the the uh, the mid nineteen seventies. But you played under the reserve clause, which meant that you had no choice about who you were going to play for, and you basically had to sign pretty much whatever contract they put in front of you year after year, right? 
You're exactly right. Either that or just go and find, go to, go to Tombstone business where you're dad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have options at that time. And we have a young boy from Sumter right now that uh, started out with the Yankees. They traded him, Jordan Montgomery. And um, he's making $10 million a year, about to sign a multi-million dollar contract, uh, I'm sure. Um, he's got a great agent, and he's had a good enough season that uh, he'll be pro- I can't imagine... Well, even that, $10 million, he's making a million a month. They usually pay uh, 10 months a year or something like that. You can get it any way you want to, but that's the way I got it. Can you imagine a check coming in for a million dollars? And that's the law. There's so many making so much more now. But we're hurting also in the, in the college world with the, with the amount of money they're paying uh, high school athletes to go to college now. And it's, it's going to be a mess, and I'm not sure that they'll be able to to, to work all that out and see what happens there. Yeah, the, the, the NIL right now is the wild, wild west because there's no regulation of it and, and it right. is, it's exactly. causing a lot of issues. So what was negotiating with George Weiss like? Well, I was the under, under the assistant general manager. His name was Roy Haney. Mm-hmm. I never did. Roy Roy, I went to him one time. I was a young player. I wasn't getting to play very much. We had great infielders. Rizzuto was still there. Gil McDougal, Jerry Coleman, Billy Martin was all there. And Jerry Lumpy and I were young players, and Jerry was traded to Kansas City. And I went to Mr. Weiss and said, uh, I, I'd like to go somewhere where I could play every day. And he said, just be patient. He said, you go get your time. We're not going to trade you. And sure enough, it wasn't too long after that that I broke in. But uh, he he was a good man. I liked him. He was all business, and uh, uh, he 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 dealt with the guys that were making a lot of money at that time. But us younger guys, we saw the assistant general manager. And I didn't know how to negotiate. I'd go in, and uh, I remember one year I, I had a a really good year. I thought it was a good year. I wore a fifteen thousand dollar raise, and uh, he he said, "Well, he said that's a little bit steep. He will we'll just go ahead and give you a ten thousand dollar raise." And uh, We'll see how you do next year. And uh, I said, okay, okay, whatever you say. You don't have any options, you know. But you're right. But it was fun, and I was playing with a great ball club, and we were the last team to travel. And I used to love traveling on a train with a dining car in between two Pullmans and just going along. I just liked that so much. We were the last team to fly. When they went to the coast, we had to fly at that time. But uh, I enjoyed every moment of my days in baseball. Bobby Richardson joining us on this week's edition of the Dan Scott Show. You saved your best performances for when it mattered most. Your your World Series performances have become legendary. And and, and the numbers in, in a short time span, obviously, a small sample size, far outweighed what you did over your career in the regular season. What What was it about you that enabled you to perform your absolute best when it mattered the most? Well, I just, it's just a wonderful time of the year when you're in the playoffs. I remember in American Legion Bowl, two of the three years, we won the state championship and the regional, and we lost out one game before going to the World Series. And I had some good, um, good stats at that time. Now, we need to remember that I played 10 years, and nine of the first 10 years, we were in the World Series. Now, that's a record that not too many people can. Mm -hmm. I hold a record now playing in 30 consecutive World Series games. 
I don't think that'll ever be broken because there's so many playoffs now and uh, wild uh, wild cards, and uh, no one team will dominate to play five consecutive years before you you get out of the series. So I did play um, nine out of ten, and it seemed like in 1960 when it kind of all started off. Every time I came up, there was mental base. I enjoy hitting with mental base. That's always been something I've enjoyed. But to be honest, I only had 26 RBIs all year. And there in 60, I did get 12. The record still stands after 60 years. You have 10 men on base, of course, to, to bring them in. And uh, But the key change in my life was when Ralph Howe took over as manager. He was my coach and manager in the minor leagues. He was a coach within the major leagues. And then when he took over from Casey Stengel, Casey had so much talent, he could juggle it around. And he did like to juggle it. He didn't like players just playing every day. And, and uh, But when Ralph took over, he said, hey, you're my second baseman. If you hit 220, or if you hit 100, or if you hit, you're still my second baseman. It just meant the world to me. And I enjoyed playing for him. And in World Series play, I honestly just enjoyed every minute. The one time I didn't hit very well, they hit a ball right at me at the end of the game in 62. And and they're they they're still talking about how hard. In fact, Willie McCovey hit the ball and, he told me later I didn't see him for 45 years and at a new stadium, and he and I were going to throw the first ball out at the new stadium. And When I saw him for the first time, he said, I bet your hand's still hurting. <laughs> and I said, you hit it hard. And he said it was one of the hardest balls he ever hit. But uh, So that was uh, the 62 World Series. But in 63 now, that was a tough year. Koufax was pitching. He struck me out three times. I didn't strike out three times ever, ever, ever. But uh, Kubek struck out, I struck out, Mantle struck out. Next time, up the same thing. And then I was just trying to be a first ball hitter. And Kubek struck out, and I struck out again. And when I walked by Mantle, he says, no use for me to go up there. He got hit three times, too. And we lost four in a row that time. Yeah, 1960, the World Series, you mentioned the 12 RBIs. The first, and I think still the only player to ever be voted the World Series MVP from the losing team. You hit 391 in the 1961 World Series against my Cincinnati Reds. And in 1964, you set the series record with 13 hits. Uh, it's just uh, – it, it's it, it's incredible to sit back and, and, and look at those numbers now and, and see, again, that you played your best on the biggest stage because not everybody can handle that kind of pressure or that kind of moment. Well, and to think that seven of those hits was off Bob Gibson. That's that's a but I made the last out off Bob Gibson in the sixty four series. But uh, uh, you're right. I I just enjoyed every moment of each one of those series, and it was a wonderful time. My wife could always go to the World Series. The Yankees paid for the wife to go to the series, and so that was a fun time. We had young children. We had it all worked out. Where they come back to Sumter and. Betsy's mother would take care of the kids, and Betsy would go with us to Pittsburgh or Cincinnati or wherever we were playing the World Series. And that was sort of our vacation together. Mm -hmm. Then one of the honors that I had in baseball, and this is hard to believe, but I was the 10th Yankee to have a day at Yankee Stadium. And George Bebelichet came in and sang How Great Thou Art. And they let me put together a track that had my testimony on it and passed it out that day. And uh, all of Billy Graham's um, right-hand men, George Bevelichet was there, Cliff Barrows led the national anthem, 
and um, Grady Wilson, T.W. Wilson, and George Wilson, Red Decision Magazine, were there in attendance that day. Billy was out of the country. He loved baseball. He did, always wanted to play baseball, but the Lord had other things in store for him, and he let me play baseball, and I, it was one time when I considered getting out of baseball, and Ralph Howe just explained to me that if you stay in baseball, it'll open doors for you that you won't be able, even in full-time Christian service, have it. And he was so right on that. Uh, I want to talk about your friendship with Billy Graham, but before we get there, I, I, I just can't let this pass. You had seven hits off of Bob Gibson in that World Series. Did he ever, <laughs> did he ever throw at you because you were hitting him so well? Well, it's funny you'd ask that because I was playing an old-timers game. I was 75 years old, no helmet. You don't play at all, that old. And the guy in front of me batting against Bob Gibson hit a home run, and the guys on the bench said, I wouldn't go up there if I was you. I said, surely. 75, no helmet. He said, he, he knocked his mother down. Well, I got up there, the first pitch was right, just like they said, and he was laughing out on the mouth. <laughs> and I was glad to pop up the next pitch and get out of there. <laughs> yes, he was. But now he's, he and I sat on the board together, baseball assistant team. Very, he was a wonderful guy, and I know that he had uh, – I remember there was one time there was a need there with a minor league baseball player and financial difficulty. and uh, The baseball assistant team was running a little short of money. He said, I'll pick that up. I think it was $15,000, $20,000. He said, I'll take care of that. So he had a real heart for, yeah. for the Lord. So I appreciated that. Visiting with Bobby Richardson on this week's show, um, you, you decided to retire at age 31. Why so young? Tony Kubek and I roomed together by minus and the majors. He got married a little later than I did. He came to the Lord in a wonderful way, just to the New Testament and realized he had a different background and needed a Savior and all out for the Lord. And we both agreed that it would be time to spend a little, be, a little more time with our family. And so we both agreed we'd won nine out of ten years, and this is a good time to retire. Sports Illustrated heard about it, and they were going, they sent a photographer down. He took the picture. We were going to be on the cover of, of Sports Illustrated. And uh, and what happened then was we even had to, a, a newsman that was going to write the story and and everything. But um, Ralph Hout moved up to general manager, and they signed Bobby Mercer. And he came over and he said, I want one of you to, I know you want to retire, but one of you play one more year and break Bobby Mercer in. And I said, well, I really do want to retire. And Tony said, okay, I'll do it. One week later, he got called into reserve program for a year. So he couldn't do it. And Ralph asked if I'd play that extra year. And that nullified the Sports Illustrated situation. Mm. But I did play that extra year. And as it turned out, Tony had had an injury that might result in a permanent paralysis, which did come his way later in life after he became a Hall of Fame broadcaster. He lives in Apple's Appleton, Wisconsin now, and uh, he had a little small stroke, and uh, but he's doing fine. He can do anything. Wonderful guy. Loves the Lord. Yeah, when I when I was uh, growing up in in the seventies and eighties, you know, Tony was was featured prominently with Joe Garagiola on the the game of the week, which I'm still old enough yes. to remember. That was really the only game we would get there for a long time. Uh, so uh, that's great to hear. Uh, that he gave his life to the Lord. I did not know that about him. You, you spoke at a number of the Billy Graham crusades over the years, didn't you? I did, and I didn't finish my story. I tell you about the young girls who owned the Yankees and owned the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. And 
and um, his daughter was Jeannie Mack Trail, and she used to spend the weekends. But Albert Pearson had led her to Christ, and she and Betsy just had a unique relationship. But she'd always been praying for her dad. He was elderly by this time, and she wanted him to come to know the Lord. He was way up in years. And we arranged, I happened to be given a testimony at Madison Square Garden, arranged for him to come to the crusade. He got there, it was one of those deals, 16 weeks, and it was filled with capacity. The fire marshal wouldn't let anybody else in. And he was turned away, but Grady Wilson heard about it, went down and got him, sat him on the stage between George Beverly Shepherd and Billy Graham. And when Billy gave the invitation, he was the very first to go down and receive Christ, make a decision for the Lord. He wrote about it in his book, just a wonderful and um, that was the first time that I shared. And then I was with Billy at the uh, Astrodome. We were we had a crusade in the Astrodome, 50,000 people. The president was there. And then also in California, excuse me, in Hawaii on national television, I shared my testimony there. In fact, it's really interesting because Billy's daughter, Ann, was talking to my wife. We were already married, and she wanted to marry an athlete. Andy Lopsis, who she was dating at that time, and he played basketball for Dean Smith at North Carolina. And she said, go for it, and she did, and what a wonderful career they had as mm-hmm. men in life, and, and Ann is a fantastic, still is, of course. And then twice in Japan, with, uh, went with Billy twice. We stirred up interest in the Crusades, visiting the major league training camps, and then at the Budokan to give my testimony. Hmm. The, the Larry McFell thing r- really interests me because I, I'm a big baseball history guy and I've, I've read, you know, just I can't tell you how many books that he's been featured in. Uh, he, he was the guy that, that brought night baseball to Cincinnati. Uh, he, he was the guy that, that really brought baseball on the radio into prominence. He busted up the – the uh, the gentleman's agreement that in, in New York when he took over the Dodgers that they would not uh, would, would not broadcast home games. So, but he was also known as a hard drinking, hard living guy, <laughs> and, and 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 so I I had never heard that he had given his life to Christ toward the end of his life. So for me, that's that's breaking news. So I, I'm you know all you've ever read about him was. The type of person he was, I've never, Bobby, seen anything written about Larry McPhail giving his life to Christ. Well, he did write in one of his books toward the end of his life. He wrote about it, told about the decision he made. And uh, But uh, his son was Lee McPhail, mm-hmm. and Lee McPhail was general manager of the Yankees. And he's the one that when I, um, I, I he gave me a five-year contract instead of just that one when I played that extra year. And after three years, um, I, I I wanted to be the baseball coach, and I had to get a release, and I went back. And he said, well, now, wait a minute. He said, if you want to, you can come back and be our major league coach. You can be our broadcaster, or you can be our AAA manager. And I said, no, Lee, the reason I'm getting out is the travel involved, the separation from family. He said, well, we'll just pay you off then. But he said, anytime you want to come back, let me hear from you. And then he made the statement, when you get settled, give us a call. We'll bring the Yankees down to play your ball club. And three years later, we lost out to Miami by one run. I called him up, and I said, I'm ready for you. And he said, well, we got a problem. I thought that was no. He said, we're traveling north with the New York Mets. I thought that was the reason for the no. And then he made the statement, would it be hard if both teams come? I said, oh, man, that worked out perfect. We the Yankees, three hits the Mets, and Yogi was managing the Mets. And it couldn't have gone better. In fact, Yogi... I drove the bus out to pick up the Mets, and Yogi said, what are you doing driving the bus? And I said, I 
uh, I wanted to make sure you were safe. I didn't trust Motorpool with uh, your whole team. <laughs> he said, what are we doing today? And I told him, he said, well, that, y'all can't compete with us. He said, I pitch batting practice every day. Let me pitch to your ball club, and your pitchers pitch against both the clubs. And I said, sounds great. I won't even dress, dress out. I'll get on the field and announce the game, which I did. And we beat both the Yankees and the Mets. Our guy won the home run hitting contest. The thousands of fans stayed with us continue until this day going out wonderful crowds at the University of South Carolina baseball. We've had back-to-back wins there. Yep, absolutely. We continue visiting with with Bobby Richardson. Uh, I want to get into wrap-up mode here in a minute. I want to be respectful of your time, but i got to ask you, that era that you played in, you've mentioned two guys who are – as well known for their abuse of the English language as they are for being great baseball men, Casey Stengel and Yogi Berra. How much of of their personalities were exaggerated? How much of what we read about them and hear about them was real? <laughs> I'm laughing because I would say it's just the opposite. They weren't exaggerated enough. <laughs> Especially Yogi. He's famous for saying things that make common sense. Nobody goes that much anymore. It's too crowded. Right. And, uh, and he's just, just done a new film. It's called It Ain't Over. It's wonderful. I'm in the film with him, and it's going to take the pace place as a classic of Pride of the Yankees. It's that good. And, and uh, his granddaughter helped put that together, and she sent us a couple of copies that would fade away after after use it twice. But I, I got the original the other day, and it is really a good film. As far as Stengel is concerned, he had so much talent that he could juggle, and whatever he did would turn out right. He'd pinch a left, pinch at a left-hander against a left-hand pitcher, and they'd always come through, whether it was uh, John Blanchard or Johnny Mize or Ina Slaughter, whatever the name was, he would uh, do well. Both of them were men that uh, were funny, uh, especially before the antitrust committee he took about a half-hour double talk and so forth, and then Mantle followed him, and what do you think, Mr. Mallon? He said, I agree with Casey. And, of course, nobody knew what Casey said. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, I remember that, uh, reading that and, and hearing about that. Before I let you go, I, I got to come back to, to Mickey Mantle. Sometime back in the early part of the 2000s, you came to Anderson, South Carolina, and was you were the uh, featured speaker at, a, I think it was a Boys and Girls Club banquet, and they asked me to introduce you. And I, I wasn't a Christian then, but my dad, who is 75 and still pastoring and preaching, he and my mom happened to be in town, and he grew up a Yankees fan, so you, you were playing in that era that he grew up in, and so he idolized all of those Yankees. We always joke, Bobby, that he married into a Reds family, so we converted him. But un- 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 until then, he was a Yankees fan. And he, until you gave your testimony and told the story about Mickey Mantle at that uh, banquet that night, my dad had no idea that Mickey Mantle came to Christ right before wow. he died. And, and I-, I can't tell you how that made him feel that evening when we were walking out of there. It was like he was walking on the clouds. Can Can you relate the story about Mickey Mantle coming coming to Christ at the end of his life? Well, it started when at 51 years of age, Roger Maris, in a battle with cancer, went on to be with the Lord at 51. And uh, Gideon had led Roger to Christ some days before he died. And, and uh, I was uh, the one that represented the Yankees and had the eulogy at Roger Maris's funeral. 
It was a wonderful day, really cold, and I remember so well that uh, I called on Fleet Boy to get up and say a word. He had a close relationship with Roger, wanted to say something, but just didn't feel like he could do it. And when I stepped aside and said, you need to say something, he did. And when I got back on the motorhome going to the hotel after the service, Mickey sat by me and he said, hey, I want you to have my funeral. I remember I used something about God's Hall of Fame that I had uh, been given by the guy that wrote it and uh, it really made some sense and hit home with him and I didn't answer him I didn't know I'm not a pastor so I didn't think much about it at the time but every time I saw him he reminded me and sure enough that friendship just blossomed to where it came to that point where he was in the hospital at Baylor Medical Center my wife and I were on the bat team and we were in uh, in the area in Dallas for the all-star game my phone rang at the hotel. It was Mickey, and Betsy answered the phone, and Mickey said, Betsy, um, I want Bobby to pray for me. Beta medical waiting for a transplant, liver transplant. And I remember that I shared this verse with Mickey that day. I used the full translation. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Find your joy in him at all times. Never forget his nearness. And it says, tell God in detail your problems, your anxieties. And the promises of peace of God, passing all understanding, shall keep our hearts and minds as we rest in Christ Jesus. Betsy went out and spent the next two days with Merle and his wife, and we remember visiting him. And he said, "Man, don't don't forget. I want you to come back and spend time with me." And uh, I've given him a hat. They've given me a hat, and he wore that hat when he was on national television and gave his testimony and said, "I'm no hero." I haven't been a good husband. I haven't been a good father. It took so much courage for him at that time to say that. But he still had a void in his heart, he said, at the time. And it wasn't too long after that the call came. He'd taken a turn for the worse. And Betsy and I on a plane flying back toward Dallas one more time to be with him. And I remember that uh, I went in. As I walked in, he just said, hey, I can't wait to tell you this. I want you to know I'm a Christian. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. And I said, Mickey, let me go over with you just to make sure you understand. And what I went over God's plan of salvation, that he loves us. Sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to shed his precious blood and promised in his word that if we were to repent of our sin and receive him and say, we might have everlasting life. Couldn't wait to get back and tell Betsy that. And when I did, she said, well, I'd really like to talk to him. And she went back and knelt down by him and shared her testimony to him as he made his way over to the reclining suite. And then she asked me the question, if a holy God were here today, and he would ask you the question, why should I let you in my heaven? What would you say? He paused for a little bit, and then he said, we're talking about God. And then he started quoting John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And he had a real peace that told the doctors he was ready. And I had the humbling experience of having his service on national television. And I was able to share that he knew and loved and walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just one other thing Roy Clark was going to sing. And I didn't get to Roy to tell him that uh, I wanted him to sing Amazing Grace after he sang yesterday when I was young, talking about a wasted life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he did. And uh, that was just so good to sing that. Well, I, I I just had I just had to have you tell that story before we wrap it up because as I said, my I just yeah. remember my dad walking out of there that day and, and wow. he he may have had a tear in his eye, Bobby. It, it was just it was just a, an incredible moment 
for him. And I, I, I remember this, this editorial cartoon uh, the day or two after Mickey died. And, and all you could see was him walking on the clouds through the pearly gates from the back and had his number seven. And God had his arm around him. And he said, kid, that was the greatest ninth inning rally I've ever seen. So Let me close with this. Um, the words that were sent my way were so appropriate. It starts out by saying your name may not appear down here in this world's Hall of Fame. In fact, you may be so unknown that no one knows your name. The trophies, the honors, the flash books, you may pass you by, neon lights are blue. But if you know and love the Lord, then I have news for you. This Hall of Fame is only good as long as time shall be. But keep in mind, God's Hall of Fame is for eternity. This crowd on earth, they soon forget the heroes of the past. They cheer like mad until you fall, and that's how long you last. But in God's Hall of Fame, by just believing in His Son, it's God, you'll find your name. I tell you, friend, I wouldn't trade my name, however small. That's written there beyond the stars, and that's the rest of all. For every famous name on earth, I wrote it this year. I'd rather be an unknown here, have my name up there. So appropriate for Mickey. Walt Huntley wrote those words years ago. And I've used them plenty of times. In fact, your buddy from Cincinnati, uh, that wonderful catcher, Johnny Bench, uh, had me speak at the Hall of Fame in Alabama. And I spoke, and he said, give me a copy of that. The next time I saw him, he memorized the whole thing. Mm. At that juncture, Bobby had to go because he had an appointment to take his wife to uh, a dialysis treatment, and uh, he was just so incredibly sweet and kind about the way he said goodbye in the conversation. Just uh, one of the best human beings that you are ever going to talk with, and I hope that that came through in the course of this interview. Just a wonderful, wonderful man. And for all of the great things he did on the baseball field, the fact that he has served Christ for 80 years trumps it all. Thank you again, Bobby Richardson. We'll take a break, come back, and get into the final segment of this week's Dan Scott Show right after this. Every day there are children who leave school on Friday and eat little, and sometimes nothing, until they come back to school on Monday. It happens in every community, including yours. Many of these children live in circumstances that deprive them of basic needs necessary for a quality life. At Grand Slam Ministries, we want to change that. We want to invest in our children, giving them hope for the future. That investment includes necessities such as food, clothing, school supplies, and a safe environment to play, to study, to live. Please visit our website, grandslamministries.org to find out more about our ministry and how you can help. We're just getting started. Will you come alongside us for the children's sake? Again, that's grandslamministries.org. Teenage boys and young men today are in crisis. Statistics show that a home without a father or male role model present is the single biggest indicator of poverty, behavior issues, drug and alcohol abuse, criminal activity, and yes, imprisonment. At Grand Slam Ministries, one of our core missions is developing a mentorship program to teach boys how to become strong Christian men and then teach those men to be the biblical husbands, fathers, and church and community leaders the Bible calls us to be. We need your prayers, we need your ideas, and we need your support. Visit our website, grandslamministries.org, to find out more about our mentorship mission 
and prayerfully consider how you may be able to assist us. Again, that website is grandslamministries.org. Final segment of this 49th episode of the show. And our thanks again to New York Yankees legend Bobby Richardson. I tell you, when we were talking, I wanted to make sure that he told the Mickey Mantle story, as you heard during the interview, because I, I had heard him tell the the story about Mickey at that uh dinner that I introduced him at in Anderson, South Carolina. Gosh, it's been 15 years ago or more, well before I was a Christian. And just the impact that it made on me and, and for my dad to have been there and and been able to to hear one of his heroes. I remember walking out of the facility that night and, and my dad saying that he really felt the presence of the Holy Spirit that evening. So I, I knew the story about Mickey Mantle. I did not know that Roger Maris had given his life to Christ shortly before cancer took him in 1985. And I certainly did not know about uh, Larry McPhail. And I mentioned this in the course of, of the interview, but if you know anything about baseball history, Larry McPhail was equal parts brilliant baseball mind, especially when it came to putting franchises together and building winning franchises in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Equal parts that and equal parts roaring drunk. And you read some of the stories about him during his time, especially with the Brooklyn Dodgers and later with the New York Yankees. To hear that he gave his life to Christ, that just absolutely blew me away. And it just goes to show, again, that no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. No one is beyond redemption. No one is beyond salvation. And if you haven't learned anything else from this program over this first year, and we're three episodes away from wrapping up year number one, if you haven't learned anything else from story after story after story that we have shared here on this show, is that you are not beyond the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. We have had multiple atheists, as you know. We have had people who have had just incredibly uh, degrading lifestyles. We've had people who have gone down every rabbit trail you can go down chasing sin, and God is always able to reach them. It's just an incredible testimony that we get to hear time after time after time. And then you have a guy like Bobby Richardson who He's had his challenges, I know, but he's basically been walking with the Lord his entire life, 80 of his 88 years. That's why I love doing this show so much, folks, because of of the stories that we get to tell and and the, the, the work that we get to see Christ do in the lives of so many different people from so many different walks of life. It's just an... As the song goes, I think you've heard this, it's it's amazing grace, isn't it? I mean, it really is if you think about it. So Bobby Richardson, thank you for, again, sharing your testimony, spending that much time with us, and 
God bless you, man. 88 years old and still going strong. I, I pray that God continues to strengthen you and your wife. As we get closer to Christmas, which is just uh, less than a handful of weeks away now, I want to remind you that we are on the search for uh, two or three families in our general area here in the upstate of South Carolina to help. And uh, there's no shortage of people where we are, no shortage of people where you are that uh, are facing the, the prospect of a very bleak Christmas holiday. And so I'm going to ask you to do two things. Number one, would love for you to go make a contribution at danscottshow.org, not only to help with what we're doing with the, the expansion of the radio show and, and trying to get our core uh, missions funded, but specifically to help two or three families in our area uh, with Christmas gifts, with food, taking care of children, doing all the things to make sure the kids especially have a joyful Christmas, and also sharing the gospel with them at the same time. But if you don't feel like you need to do it for us, find someone in your community. that You, you can go to churches, you can go to schools, and I promise you guidance counselors at schools can tell you about families in need. Even if they don't share with you the identity, they can give you circumstances, situations, and the number of children involved, heights, weights, shoe sizes, clothing sizes, all of those things, and even get a little wish list put together for you. And you can do it without ever knowing exactly who you're helping. So if you can either do it through us here or do it in your community but I promise you do it. As I used to say on the old radio show, and I need to start saying it again pretty much every time we do something here. As we wrap it up, let's go out and make a difference in somebody's life today. And I'm preaching to myself more than I'm preaching to anybody else right now, okay? Listen, have a great week. Thank you for tuning in. Share the program. Help us continue to grow. And we'll be back again with another one for you next week. Until then, I'm Dan Scott. God bless you and so long, everybody.